0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Scottsdale Saturday Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is Saturday the 13th of November 2021. My name is Maria F and I'm a recoverable overeater and I'm from County Dublin in Ireland and I'll be your host for today's study. Please know that the speaker today, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the Q&A which follows will not be recorded. Our co-hosts today are Nancy J and Sue L. If you have any questions or any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts. And you can do this by private message in the chat function. And if you could just please make sure to keep your microphone on, mute at all times during the workshop that would be really helpful to us and um, so now we'll turn over to Harlan G good morning Harlan. good
1: morning Maria thank you so much for your service You're
0: muted, Harlan oh
1: I am no I'm not thank you can you hear me now it says I'm not muted we can hear okay. you okay good thank you Maria for your service and And I wanna thank all of you for coming. And, you know, I wish it wasn't as confusing as it is for some with the time change. I tried to make it as simple as I possibly could. And what I did was I started an hour later. So unless you're in the state of Arizona, it starts at the very same time, no matter where you are, the only ones that are experiencing any type of change are the people that are in the state of Arizona. So, but uh, we still had some people that were tuning in uh, quite a bit ago. And uh, as Maria told me, so we put up that thing that said it starts at one o'clock Eastern time. But I'm glad we're all together this morning. I went to Chicago last weekend. I went home for a wedding. and The wedding that I went to was a little girl who I was at her mother and father's wedding and I knew very well her grandfather on both sides I used to work for her grandfather on her father's side and her grandmother grandmother and grandfather on her our fa- mother's side were like sir have been like surrogate family to me for 60 years uh, they were very we've been very close through the years so to see her get married was was wonderful but to be home and look at the city and say, I am a child of this, uh, made me very proud. And I got to see a lot of people that made me who I am, uh, both good and bad, but they made me who I am and it was wonderful. I got good and sick though. Um, I was eating in restaurants and I don't think dad agreed with me, but I went from 85 or 80 degrees, not 85, about 80 degrees to about 30 degrees, and from about 30 degrees to about 80 degrees. And the last several times I've traveled, if I go for more than just say Friday, Saturday, and then come back Sunday, I have gotten sick 100% of the time. I remember when I got back from Israel, I had to talk the doctor out of putting me in the hospital. He wanted to put me in the damn hospital, and I had to talk him out of it. Um, but, uh, this time I didn't want, I didn't have to go to the hospital. I just got these magical pills and they've restored my voice and they've calmed my stomach down. And I'm so glad to be here. I will share this with you, uh, being in Chicago, uh, all of Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, being in Chicago, I got a sense of how temporary life is and I'll explain that. In the neighborhood that I grew up in, which was the, is the West Rogers Park neighborhood, I'm a Devon Avenue kid. And I lived around Devon and California, around Devon and Kedzie, that's my neighborhood. I went to Mather High School in Chicago. And when I was a little boy, and I'm sure every one of you who, who has any type of memories of childhood went through this. This was the movie theater. And this was the department store. And this was the deli. And this was this restaurant. And that was that bank. And then you get to a point where you haven't been there for a long time. Not only is that all changed, but you wouldn't even know looking at the land, looking at the buildings, that those places were ever even there. And so when I got through the trip to the neighborhood I was really sad and I couldn't get in touch with why I was sad because things had changed That's not a secret my high school's changed a little bit here and there they've redone the uh, main entrance because we went to the high school we went to Mather and they redid the baseball field and they redid a lot of the stuff but what I got a sense of is how temporary life is how fleeting life is and how we are so charged with doing what we can do doing what we should do to make it as meaningful and as wonderful as it can be because you blink your eyes and we're gone and you know i it's just amazing to just go down that main drag that devon avenue drag And to see how different everything is, people are speaking different languages than they spoke when I was a kid. They're they're wearing different clothing. They're wearing different, they're doing different things. And uh, it's just just incredible. Now, downtown Chicago doesn't change as fast and as much, but the neighborhoods, good Lord. And then we went to Wrigley Field, even though there's no game, I still want to go past it how different the neighborhood is from what I remember when I was a vendor there. And I lived there as a, as a young man, not as a child, but as a man in my thirties, I lived at 3708 Sheffield, how different that whole neighborhood is today. It's really incredible how amazing and quick the change is and how thorough the change is so that you would never know what was there you know, when I was a kid, you just have no remnants of it at all. Uh, so that was what was going through my mind. But I'm really glad to be back here with you guys. I missed this last Saturday, even though I was having a really good time. I did think, you know, what I should be doing is this. And I hope that you guys all had your time changed. We don't change our clocks in Arizona. So we're we're, you know, we're just, I'm just doing this an hour later. I wish Arizona would Uh, either go to Pacific time or mountain time, and just stay with that. I think it would be easier if we did change. But what I think would be the easiest is if we knocked off this narish kite with the time change, because to me, it's just craziness. It's just nuts. Either stay on standard or stay on daylight savings time and be done with it. But okay, whatever. You can't fight City Hall, I guess you can't. You can't really fight City Hall. So what are you gonna do? Um, We are in the chapter, A Vision For You. And the chapter, A Vision For You is where A Vision For You gets its name. It's where our evening meetings get their name. There's lots and lots and lots of groups that are called a vision for you. Nobody has a copyright on it. Nobody owns it. It's a title of a chapter in the big book. And it is used by many, many, many meetings throughout the world as a vision for you. And um, we have been talking two weeks ago and before that, We have been talking about the advent of the meetings and the growth of the fellowship. And we have been talking about some of the history. And we looked at the page 159. We're going to be on 161 here in a minute. We're going to start on 161. Now this house will hardly accommodate. But we looked at it. And in the whole world of Alcoholics Anonymous, there were 10 people. There were 10 people on the bottom of 159. He says a year and six months later, that would mean January 1st of 37. These three had succeeded with seven more. So we see how God blessed the fellowship and how did he bless it? He blessed it with recovery, but he also blessed it with the unbelievable growth that it has experienced the flourishing of the growth, the flourishing of the fellowship to today, Alcoholics Anonymous is a household name. Everybody in the medical profession knows about Alcoholics Anonymous. Everybody knows what Alcoholics Anonymous is. Everybody has a feeling that this is something that does work. And one of the things, and I'm not indicting Overeaters Anonymous here, I'm not not issuing an indictment, but one of the things that I will say that Alcoholics Anonymous has done much better than we have. Is to become that household name. Now there's some reasons why it is a little more difficult for us because we're competing with the pay-in ways, we're competing with multi-million dollar companies, with advertising agencies and advertising budgets and experts in the field where they will get public relations people and they will sponsor things and they will put their name out there as the solution. But Overeaters Anonymous is not as well known. Overeaters Anonymous has not done the effective job that Alcoholics Anonymous has done to uh, educate the medical profession, to educate The public as to what we have, what we are, and how really effective it is. And it's free. You know, if you want to drop a buck in the basket or two bucks in the basket, great. If you don't, that's okay too. There are no dues or fees for membership in Alcoholics Anonymous. And then we talk about the growth of the fellowship from that point forward. And we talked about last week that we were here. Uh, T. Henry and Clarice Williams, they in Akron, Ohio, they really opened up the doors of their home to this, not only the Oxford group, but to the drunk squad of the Oxford group, which would later become Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, the drunk squad of the Oxford group was not what they were officially called. That was a nickname that they kind of gave themselves, the drunk squad of the Oxford group. Nobody called them that. So in Q&A, don't ask me where did the name come from? It's basically what they called themselves. And the Oxford group and AA were starting to pull apart. They pulled apart during 37, 38 in New York. And by 39, they pulled apart in Akron. Dr. Bob was very influential in Akron and he was very, very reluctant to leave the Oxford group. But a man by the name of Clarence Snyder, who wrote a book, This Is How It Worked. Clarence Snyder is the father of modern day sponsorship. He is the father of modern day sitting with the book And what he simply did is he turned all the statements in the book into questions and he turned the questions into statements. In other words, it says, rarely have we seen the person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. So he would say, have you seen people fail that have thoroughly followed the path? And the answer is no, I have not seen that in my lifetime. People who thoroughly follow the path are successful about a hundred percent of the time in my eyes from the time I came in 42 years ago so and he would just he was the father of modern day sponsorship okay let's go to page 161 now this house will hardly accommodate its weekly visitors it's the first full paragraph on page 161 for their, for they number 60 or 80 as a rule. So you can see that they're getting 60 and 80 people to their meetings, which is a far cry from what they were getting when there was just 10 of them in the world. Now, I do not go to live meetings anymore. I have taken a step out and I go to Zoom meetings. I go to vision for you meetings in the morning and I am gonna resume walking tomorrow morning. So I'm gonna I'm going to treat myself to a Sunday special edition while I'm out there walking. But I go to Zoom meetings, as most of you know, Sunday through Thursday from 5.30 to 6.30 Arizona time. But in the live meetings that I have gone to, we had, nowhere near 60 to 80 people in the last years a long time ago we had 100 and 200 people at a meeting or you know 60 75 people was nothing and the reason that it changed is we had in chicago and in new york la san francisco any large city had eating disorder units and these eating disorder units were the raider institute and Parkside. And there were a lot of other eating disorder units too. And the eating disorder units would get their people in a school bus, a, a small school bus, and they would take them to the meetings and they would come in with hospital plastic on their wrist and they would sit in the meetings and they would take them to the drugstore before the meeting. And they could load up on if they needed cosmetics or they needed uh. Cigarettes, you could smoke in the meetings when I first came in, you could smoke in the meetings and then that started to fizzle out. But when I first came in, we had ashtrays in the meetings where you could smoke and there were meetings at Pottawatomie Park, and meetings at Ravenswood Hospital, and meetings that uh, you could hear the person sharing, but for the love of God, you couldn't see him because the smoke was so thick, it wasn't even funny. I mean, you literally... It was like a, a a San Francisco morning in there. It was so foggy with the cigarette smoke. It was unbelievable how much smoke was in there because they're all addicts and they're puffing and puffing and puffing. And I had stopped smoking uh, early on and I just, I didn't do it. But man, you go to a couple of meetings of OA or AA, you'd be lucky even if you didn't smoke, you'd be lucky if you didn't get uh, emphysema. But the bottom line is, is that we used to have very big meetings. I've told, I've said this before, and I'm getting a little sidetracked today because my brain still isn't completely healed, but my brain is a little sidetracked today. But I just want to give you a little bit of the history. Uh, we had two major eating disorder units in Chicago, the Raider Institute, and we had Parkside. I still work a Parkside food plant to this day. Because what they would preach, and this is for me, this is not for you. And I don't want to get into discussions about food. Trust me, I don't. I'm sharing with you my hope, strength, and experience. I don't, I'm not laying this on you. But what Parkside would preach is, eat foods as close to their natural form as is possible. In other words, when I eat chicken, it's chicken, not chicken sausage, not chicken, uh, pressed chicken or, or processed chicken. When I eat chicken, it's chicken. When I eat, like I'm gonna to go to lunch after this, I'm going to Peter to jungle. So I'm gonna get cauliflower, I'm gonna get chicken, but that's it, I'm not gonna get anything processed. I don't eat processed foods, processed anything. And that really, I learned that from Parkside. They said, eat foods as close to their natural form as is possible. But anyway, you'd go to Swedish Covenant Hospital, which was a big destination for them, as was Bethesda. And uh, Bethesda is now condominiums. I drove past there the other day and uh, it's condominiums now. It's not even a hospital anymore, which which uh, is interesting. But anyway, so you'd see the little school bus out there and you'd get like a Monday night was was uh, we would have story night on Monday night. Um, at Swedish Covenant Hospital, you'd get the the speaker or the the story or the speaker and you'd get 225, 250 people. We would break up into groups of 10 in the auditorium of that hospital and we would get 25 groups of 10. And when we would come back around for the prayer, uh, you'd have a circle that you could barely see the end of it. That's You know, that was nice. That was really, really nice. But what happened in case you're going to ask me or in case you're wondering what happened is the insurance companies will fund the alcohol and drug rehabs because they see recovery in the food, in the eating disorder rehabs. The recidivity rate was 100 percent. The people were just not recovering. It's a tougher addiction. It's a tougher ball game, And they pulled the funding. And as soon as they pulled the funding, that was the end of the treatment centers. And our meetings would go from 100 people or 80 people or 200 people down to 10 or 15 people almost overnight almost overnight. And that occurred in the early eighties where they pulled mid eighties, mid eighties, when they pulled the funding on that, it really devastated overeaters anonymous. You were, you were really looking at a room, which used to be like chock full of people. And now instead of having a meeting in the hospital auditorium, you were having a meeting in the doctor's cafeteria, or you were having a meeting in some, you know, meeting room or something, that's how quickly it changed. That's how quickly we were devastated by the pulling of that funding. So anyway, I'm giving you a little history of what happened in Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, Take it for what it's worth. Don't overthink it. Don't over, don't overanalyze it. It's just history. And it was a long time ago. All right. Alcoholics are being attracted from far and near, from surrounding towns. Families drive long distances to be present. A community 30 miles away has 15 fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. This would be Cleveland. Now, something very, very amazing happened in Cleveland that accelerated the split between the Oxford Group and Alcoholics Anonymous. In early 1939, In early, excuse me, yeah, early 1939, Clarence Snyder, who went, lived in Cleveland, he got to sponsoring two men who were Roman Catholics. One was a Polish guy, one was an Irish guy. And the bishop told these guys that they weren't to come to the Oxford group meetings. The Oxford groupers were essentially a Protestant organization. And the bishop told these two guys not to go to the Oxford group meetings. Clarence Snyder drives down to Cleveland, says to Dr. Bob, this is what's going on. And Dr. Bob wasn't having it. He said, look, when they were drinking, they weren't such good Catholics. They can come to the damn Oxford group meetings. And if they were in attendance at the Oxford group meetings, they're doing themselves a favor and God will completely understand but Clarence really wanted to split from the Oxford group. He not only saw this as an opportunity to split, he saw this as a valid reason to get other people to support him. So in March of 1939, about a month before the big book was published, they had a meeting in Cleveland and it was the very first meeting ever of a fledgling group. And the name of the group was Alcoholics Anonymous. And in Cleveland, Ohio, in that year, in that day, in that moment, was the very first meeting of a fledgling group called Alcoholics Anonymous. So incensed were the Akron people that they actually drove up to Cleveland and encircled the building where the meeting was taking place to protest They were protesting this meeting because they did not want to leave the Oxford group. This was something that had worked for them. This is something that they felt very comfortable with, and they did not want to leave. They were afraid of change. And one of the things that I know about myself is I fear the new, the untested, and the different. You freak me out when you ask me to go in a place emotionally or physically that I have not been before. But this is part of our history and this is part of how we became Alcoholics Anonymous or they became Alcoholics Anonymous rather than just an offshoot of the Oxford Group movement. And this is part of our history as well, because if it weren't for Alcoholics Anonymous, there wouldn't be a Gambler's Anonymous. If it wasn't for Gambler's Anonymous, there wouldn't be an Overeaters Anonymous. So everything traces back to the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. Without that grandfather program, there is no Overeaters Anonymous. And that means that I would be dead for a very long time, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 years, I would be dead 40 years for sure. I would be in a piano case outside of Chicago, Illinois, in a cemetery called Jewish Waldheim Cemetery, and that's where I would be buried, and that's where I would be laying this morning instead of talking to you now. The only reason that I'm alive right now is because of a loving God. and and an organization called Overeaters Anonymous. There is no other reason that my worthless hide is even still alive. I ate more Reese's peanut butter cups. I drank more Coca-Cola and ate more brownies. This is Saturday night. This would be my threesome. Little Debbie, me and Sarah Lee, we would be having the time of our lives. Me, little Debbie and Sarah Lee, we'd be out on the town. And I would be, I would have been dead a very long time ago. So I'm grateful to God and I'm grateful to everyone here, and I'm grateful to Roseanne and I'm grateful to Overeaters Anonymous for be letting me be alive today. Let's continue. <clears throat> Being a large place, we think that someday its fellowship will number many hundreds. And yes, it will. Measure it will number many hundreds. As a matter of fact, when the Alcoholics Anonymous has when Al- not the alcohol when Alcoholics Anonymous has their world conventions, they frequently have about seventy-five to a hundred thousand people that attend. They have them in Atlanta Stadium. They have that had it at Montreal, where the Expos used to play. They've had it at Yankee Stadium. They've had it at in Los Angeles, where the Dodgers play, that is, where they have their, uh, that is where they have their conventions now. You can't even fit them in a hotel auditorium anymore. I, uh, I, I understand that they haven't had them for the last couple of years, but that's completely understandable with what's, with what's going on in the world. I'm in the middle of 161, but life among Alcoholics Anonymous is more than attending gatherings and visiting hospitals, cleaning up old scrapes, helping to settle family differences, explaining the disinherited son to his irate parents, lending money and securing jobs for each other when justified. These are everyday occurrences. No one is too discredited or has sunk too low to be welcomed cordially if He means business. If he means business. Do you remember in Bill's story, it says he came to pass his experience along to me, dash, if I cared to have it. So there's that little qualifier. If I cared to have it. If he means business. (sighs) very very important that we are serious because that will make us or break us if we're not to me overeaters anonymous is the most important thing in my life without exception do i still have to work yes do i still have other obligations yes do i have time consuming things that i need to do yes <laughs> however somebody's unmuted however If overeaters anonymous is not the most important thing in my life without exception, I will not be able to tend to those things with the same enthusiasm with a clear head that I can do when I'm abstinent. If you put Reese's peanut butter cups in my body, something happens in my brain, not just in my body, but in my brain, I'm really not there. I'm not listening to you. I will put things off that need attention. I will get scared at the, at the task at hand. I, I don't want to be bothered with anything. I, I'm a procrastinator when I'm in my disease. I'm an avoidance expert when I'm in my disease. Now that clear, I will tackle a job. I will get things done. I will do what it is that's in front of me to make sure that I have what I need, to make sure that I'm of service to other people. So this is a big difference. If he means business, I mean business. OA is not a game for me, it's serious. It's life and it's death. I'm either doing this or I'm not. There is no middle ground for me. Social distinctions, petty rivalries and jealousies, these are laughed out of countenance. We don't care what you do for a living. We don't care what kind of family you come from. We don't care whether you come from Yale or jail. We don't care. All we want to know is, are you serious? And if you're serious, we will go to the mat for you. If you're not serious, then there's not much we can do. Being wrecked in the same vessel, being restored and united under one God, with hearts and minds attuned to the welfare of others, the things which matter so much to some people no longer signify much to them, how could they? Now, I wanna share something with you that's very important for me and I deliberately held off on it. I just got through telling you how wonderful it was to be in Chicago. I just got through telling you how fabulous it was to see the people that I went to high school with, that I went to college with, that I went to grammar school with. You know, I went past the grammar school and I remember a picture of some of us and it was taken on September the 7th, 1959. And there's a picture of a little chubby boy in the back Playground, the, black, the back playground, the little playground at Green School was only for kindergarten. All other grades have to use the big playground, the front playground. Only the kindergartners can play in the back playground. And we were in the back playground and I was a kindergartner. And I met people that day that sat in the circle with me in Mrs. Gieverman's kindergarten class. I remember Mrs. Gieverman like 10 minutes ago. She was a beautiful older lady and we will never forget her. We speak of her fondly to this day. She's been dead for 50 years. We speak of her fondly to this day. We all loved her. She was wonderful. And I remember that some of those kids were some of the kids that I saw when I went home last week. How lucky am I? How lucky am I? But I will tell you something that I wouldn't say to them. You know me better than they do. You have more insight into my soul than they do. I know you And you know me better than they could ever know me. I know everything about them. I knew their mothers, their fathers, their grandmothers, their grandfathers, their aunts, their uncles. I've cried with them at funerals and I've celebrated with them at bar mitzvahs and birthdays and funerals. And I've I've been all over the gamut with all these kids who are now 67 years old like me but they don't speak the language of the heart. They don't understand why at a wedding when they're gonna serve dinner at 10 o'clock at night, I ate dinner before I even got dressed. They don't understand that. They don't understand why you can't just eat some of the cheese doodles and the pizza rolls and the egg rolls and the other little appetizers. They don't understand why you just can't have some of those to kind of tide you over. They don't get it. And they never will. There's no explaining to them what this is. And there's no explaining to them what it isn't. Now I treasure every one of those people. But you are the people that saved my life. They are part of what made me who I am today. But you saved my life. You are God's with skin, you are God's with skin because you carry a message, a life-giving message of God to me through your shares, through my calls to you, through our sharing, you are part of why I'm alive. They may be part of who I am and who I'm not, but you are more a part of me being alive Because when God can't come, he sends people, oftentimes you. You and I, we speak the language of the heart. And you are part of the reason that this works. Don't ever sell yourself short. Not everybody relates to me. Not everybody relates to God knows who. There's 116 people here. Not everybody is going to relate to everybody and every story. I don't have a story of anorexia. I don't have a story of bulimia. I don't have a story of restricting. But maybe you do. I don't have your story and you don't have my story. Every one of us is part of the mosaic, which makes this the beautiful, beautiful work of art that it is. Some of you have come from Yale. Some of you have come from jail. Some of you have come from under a park bench. Some of you have come from Park Avenue. But whether you're black or white or green or yellow, whether you went to Baylor and you've lost your mind now that they won the national championship last year in basketball, men's basketball, or you never finished grammar school, it doesn't matter because you, who you are, what you are, your story is part of a never ending legacy. And something that you will say at a meeting, something that you will share at a meeting, something maybe you didn't make up, but just something that you say, you'll never know how it affects another person Because every good deed, every time you walk to God, he runs to you. And every one of these good deeds will achieve instant immortality. You will say something to somebody. Somebody will say something to, you may not even be alive anymore. And there will be people that will share something that you said at a meeting 15, 20 years prior. We share things every time we get together at meetings that nobody here made up. They came from somebody who lived in Akron or they came from somebody who lived in New York. And they said something that was put into the book. There are no footnotes that say so-and-so, but it may have come from somebody who choked to death on their own vomit. And it may have come from somebody who recovered, but we will never know. We will never know. So the wisdom that gets gets bantered about here, you have to have lived in the illness to appreciate how beautiful the lifesaver is. You have to have lived in the darkness to be appreciative of the light. God, when I got back to Arizona, Last Sunday night, I was sick as a dog. You know what I appreciated? God, it's nice and warm here in Arizona. It was 79 degrees when I got off that plane. It was in the 30s during the day in Chicago, 40s, and during the day when I was in Chicago. Fat. I don't want that anymore. P.U. But the bottom line is you cannot appreciate one thing until you have something else. And that's what makes this work. You are part of what makes this work. You are part of that tapestry. You are part of that mosaic, which makes this what it is. Let's continue. We're at the bottom of 161. Under only slightly different conditions, the same thing is taking place in many Eastern cities. And one of these a well-known hospital for the treatment of alcoholic and drug addiction. Six years ago, one of our number was a patient there. He's talking about Bill Wilson. He's talking about himself and he's talking about the town's hospital. The book was written in 37 and 38. This chapter was written in 39. And so six years ago, he was, hospitalized in April of 33, April of 34, December of 34, and December of 34. Six years ago, one of our number was a patient there. Many of us have felt for the first time the presence and power of God within its walls. It has to be the presence of God. How in the world would you ever explain how an illness like alcoholism could have any type of solution and that solution is free and it's accessible to all who work toward it. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to be anything. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to pay any money. You don't have to qualify in any way at all you just have to do the work in front of you. We are greatly indebted to the doctor in attendance there. He's talking about William Duncan Silkworth. And just to be a, just to be a pill once in a while, every January and July, I go to the cardiologist and every January I have to fill out, you know, the same paperwork. So just to be a putt sometimes when it says, who's your primary care physician, I'll put down William Duncan Silkworth and I'll put down the address of Towns Hospital, just to be a putz, just to have a little fun. It's got to be fun for me too. But anyway, I've done that from time to time. And then I go back and change it. Okay, anyway, we are greatly indebted to the doctor in attendance there for he, although it might prejudice his own work, has told us of his belief in ours. And Dr. Silkworth didn't come to this conclusion that the work in Alcoholics Anonymous was effective overnight, Bill Wilson, in December of 1934, when he got sober, wanted to talk to the alcoholics. Well, let me just tell you that Dr. Silkworth was not exactly a fireball of enthusiasm. Bill Wilson was not a counselor. He wasn't a physician. He wasn't a psychiatrist. He wasn't a therapist. He wasn't a licensed addictions counselor. He had none of those things. He was a drunk. He was a drunk. Why should I let drunks talk to drunks? And Bill Wilson convinced Dr. Silkworth that he deserved a try, an attempt. And Silkworth saw the magic in one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic so that the second alcoholic's feelings of difference and uniqueness withered away. He saw that Bill Wilson could identify with these alcoholics and they with him in a way that he could not. And he saw that in order for the message to be carried, it must have depth and weight. This is a message that in order for it to be carried, must have depth and weight. What does that mean, depth and weight? I'll sum it up for you as simply as I can. In order for you to know what a broken leg feels like, you have to have had a broken leg. In order for you to know anything about alcoholism or compulsive overeating, you must be one of us. That's what it means. How can you know what this is if you don't have it? I could read books about what it's like to be whatever, but it's not the same. It's not even close to the same. If all I have is knowledge that I picked up in a book or a classroom, I'm not gonna be very effective. But when I can start the sentence with me and I, I ate that way. I did this. I went through this. Now I can get your attention. Bill Wilson met Bob Smith at the Cyberlane Gatehouse in May of 1935. He went up to the attic with him and they didn't come down for six hours. What did Bill say to Bob that was so special? Essentially, nothing about Bill's al- Bob's alcoholism. He talked only of his own alcoholism. In order for the message to be carried, it must have depth and weight. Bill Wilson was not the first person to try to get Bob to sober up. Not even close. But nobody ever approached Dr. Bob that was an alcoholic. Nobody. And that's what this is. One alcoholic talking to another alcoholic so that they can identify. They can identify in, do I think the way Bill Wilson thinks? Do I eat the way Bill Wilson drinks? Yes, I do. And Silkworth was a groundbreaker. Not only in just his opinions and the things that he surmised, he was a groundbreaker in allowing Bill Wilson to talk to some of the patients when at other places they would not allow that. Okay, every few days this doctor suggests our approach to one of his patients. In other words, he would suggest to these guys, go to Alcoholics Anonymous when we release you because that's where you're going to get the help that you need. I can tend to your medical needs, he would say to them, and I can get you back on your feet. But I cannot affect a spiritual awakening in you like they can. So as to produce a feeling of neutrality toward booze that you absolutely need, if you're going to survive. Let's continue. Understanding our work He can do this with an eye to selecting those who are willing and able to recover on a spiritual basis. Many of us former patients go there to help. Then in in this Eastern city, New York, there are informal meetings, (laughs) such as we have described to you, where you may now see scores of members. There are the same fast friendships There is the same helpfulness to one another, as you find among our Western friends, Western being Akron, Ohio, to them that's Western. There is a good bit of travel between East and West, and we foresee a great increase in this helpful interchange, to say the least. That's the understatement of the century. Someday we hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. Notice that the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is in capital letters. What does that signify? That to many, this is a higher power. To some extent, this is already true. Some of us are salesmen and go about. Little clusters of twos and threes and fives of us have sprung up in other communities through contact with our two larger centers, through contact with our two larger centers. Those of us who travel drop in as often as we can. This practice enables us to lend a hand at the same time, avoiding certain alluring distractions of the road about which any traveling man can inform you. Fitzmail, Jimmy Burwell, Hank Parkhurst, Clarence Snyder, whoever, Archie Throwbridge, he started AA in Detroit, Michigan. Um, Earl Treat started AA with Sylvia Kaufman in Chicago. And little by little by little by little, Dave B started it in Canada. Little by little by little, it gained momentum. And because God smiled on it, We today can know that Alcoholics Anonymous is in 170 countries. Overeaters Anonymous is in 60 countries. Overeaters Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 step way of life is an amazing journey. What an amazing, amazing journey it is. And it is a joy to behold. I think that when the pandemic started, was March of 2020, I went to Sarasota, Florida and I did the last retreat that I've done. I haven't done one since, not, on, not in person. I've done them on Zoom in Greece and Italy and Israel and here and there, I've done them all on Zoom. But the last one that I did was in Sarasota, Florida. Tampa, Florida, but the thing was in Sarasota. And it was March. And on March the 12th, 2020, which was a Thursday night, I had come back that previous weekend. March the 12th was a Thursday night. I went, I used to go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club, two blocks from my house two blocks from here. That's why I bought my house here. A big part of the reason, because I needed a, a two-story house, like I need a loch and Cup, like I need a hole in my head. But I could afford this place, and it's two blocks from the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club. And I was sitting there with one or two people. And by the next day was Friday, the 13th of March. It was March, th- it was Friday the 13th the news coverage had shifted so that this was nonstop with, with the doctors and the scientists and, 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 and the politicians. And this faction is screaming, it's bullshit. And this faction is screaming, it's serious. And you don't know who to believe or what to believe, but it soon became apparent with the deaths and the, and the illnesses that this was something to take serious. That was the last live meeting I went to, except with one exception, Larry Kay, who most of you know, Larry Kay came here to Arizona to visit. And we went to a Friday meeting. There was a Friday morning meeting at the club at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's not there anymore. And I took Larry there. There was like three or four people was a hybrid meeting now that meeting is completely on zoom but what i'm getting at is this only god could have taken this pandemic this this horrible horrible pandemic i mean 3 quarters of a million people are dead i know people that died from this i now can tell you i know people that are dead from corona from Corona, and he took the world, the entire planet Earth, and he made us into one inner group. I mean, this Zoom, I never heard. Zoom to me was a noise that a little boy made when he played with his car on the floor of his room. What I never heard a Zoom in my, if you heard a Zoom, then you're smarter than I am because I never heard of such a thing. So what we did was we went and we did phone meetings, just like vision. We got a phone number and I think it was Lauren that was the, one of the first, Lauren, Maria, and, and, and uh, Pat, and uh, Nancy, and I um, forgot who else. Anyway, Sue, Sue, yeah, Sue, they were approaching me about going to Zoom. I didn't know what the hell Zoom was, and all of a sudden we transitioned into Zoom. Now we're Sunday through Thursday. I just perpetuated what we had, and I did my big book study on Saturday morning at the coffee plantation. So now I do it on Zoom. Now we're getting seventy-five, hundred people a night on our meetings, Sunday through Thursday. You're more than welcome to come. It's at 5.30 Arizona time. So it's 4.30 Pacific time. You figure it out. You're smart people. It's 6.30 Central time, 7.30 Eastern time in the winter. In the summer, it's an hour late. Come to our meetings. We're getting 75, 80, 90, 100, 120 people a night. Only God knew how to take this horrible thing and make it into something that is bringing recovery everywhere you look. I'm very lucky. I live in a big city, Phoenix or Scottsdale. I lived in Chicago. Now, when I lived in Eugene, Oregon, there is no OA there, doesn't it? There's no such thing. They don't have OA in Eugene. They have it in Portland, but that's about it. That's That's it but there is no OA in, in Eugene, Oregon. Maybe there is now, I don't know. I've been gone 19 years. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you what it was when I was there. They didn't have it, but we're, we're one inner group now. We're one world now. I mean, that's a miracle. That's an absolute freaking miracle all right, let's do one more paragraph and then we'll be done for the day and we'll transition into q and I got a little more sidetracked today than I would have liked to, but just bear with me. My brain is the last thing to heal. So let's do another paragraph. We're at the bottom of 162 and then we're going to finish this chapter probably next week. And then we're going to start over again. You may want to tell whoever you want to tell that after next week, we're, pro- we're going to start at the forward to the first edition. A lot of history in those forwards. will bring everything to the forefront. Bottom of 162, thus we grow, and so can you. Though you be but one man with this book in your hand, we believe and hope it contains all you need to begin. One more, we're going to do one more. We know what you are thinking. You are saying to yourself, I'm jittery and alone. I couldn't do that, but you can. You forget that you have now just tapped into a source of power much greater than yourself. To duplicate with such backing, what we have accomplished is only a matter of willingness, patience, and labor you take a look at what has happened in this world and you take a look at what they're writing about in this book, who could have predicted what has happened in the world? You know, the famous philosopher, Scott Peck has said, and I agree with him, that the 20th century, thousands of years from now will be known for three things. Flight at Kitty Hawk, the advent of the airlines, culminating in man's landing on the moon. The atomic slash computer age, the beginning of the atomic slash computer age. And the third thing that the 20th century will be known for is the beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 step and the writing of this book. When you work this program, you unleash a power that cannot be measured or even estimated. The power of God grows and goes and grows and goes, it goes deep and it grows into places And it seeps into areas, not only of our life that we didn't even know were broken. I'm healing today in areas that I didn't even know were broken. And the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, Internet Anonymous, under Under Earners Anonymous, Debtors Anonymous, uh, Al-Anon, Nar-Anon, Gambanon. The power that this program has, and there's a million Anons that I, I'm not even aware of that I'm leaving out, because I'm not aware of them. The power goes deep and the power goes. It's like an unbelievable force all its own. And all we have to do is take the step, take the step, take the step. And that power gets unleashed in ways you cannot imagine. Anywhere that I go today from Maine to California, from Anchorage, Alaska to Jerusalem, Israel, I know that if I look through my phone, I have contacts in that city, in that town. I don't ever have to be a stranger. Do you know how comforting that is? That's a really, really good comfort that I have people in my phone here that live in that town. I'll, 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 I'll tell you a quick little story here. I went to... Jerusalem, Israel, Jerusalem, Israel, what is it, 15,000 miles away from here, from Arizona, 10, 15,000 miles away. There's a nine hour time difference between here and Jerusalem, Israel, nine hours. That's a lot of hours. I go to Jerusalem, Israel, and there's two people waiting for me to take me from the airport to Jerusalem because the airport is kind of in the middle of Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not in Tel Aviv. It's kind of in that flux area there. So I get to Jerusalem and who's picking me up a woman from Chicago who lived on the North side. I mean, what more do you want? And we're talking, and I I was I was frightened, I was insecure. I mean, like I just was. It made me feel like okay, this is good. And I was tired and I was sick. I got to the hotel, and then the hotel had no room for me. I had to go to another Fakakta hotel, and then, and then I had to go back to the original hotel. It was a whole, it was like a, a, a crazy house there, but I was comforted in knowing that I was being looked out for in Jerusalem. Then I was in Jerusalem, another woman whose name you hear all the time on vision. I was saying how the the food on the airplanes isn't fit for dogs and cats. So what did she do? She went home and she packed me up meals for the plane because I was landing in Boston and then from Boston, I had to go to Phoenix. She packed me up meals in plastic with utensils, with napkins, with this, with, I mean, where are you gonna find that? Where are you gonna find that kind of a fellowship? And yet here it is, it's here and you are a part of it. Don't wait. For us to come and grab you and say, you are a part of it. I'm telling you, you are a part of this fellowship. Look to add rather than what you can take. It's just an amazing, amazing way of life. Okay. Um, Let's transition into, we left off just for the sake of um, big book. Study 163 is the page number, and we're gonna start with we know of an a member. Okay, I'm gonna turn this back. Oh, a couple of other things before I do. We're gonna to go to question. We are meeting next week and there'll be no interruptions for the foreseeable future when we're not gonna be meeting. Uh, except for in January when I if I go to LA, if I go to LA for the birthday. The the birthday is not in person, but I've been invited to go there. I haven't 100% decided yes or no. Um, But anyway, uh, no math questions, no math, no food questions. And if you asked a question two weeks ago, please step back and let people who have not asked the question come to the come to the front of the room. Maria or Nancy or whoever, Sue or whoever, it's back to you because